Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to Thrive Deeper, episode 106. It's DJ Payne here, your humble host. And on this one, our esteemed colleague, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, joins me as usual as we get into concluding our discussion on the book of Ecclesiastes. This little troubling, dark book in the middle of the Bible. What's it all about? And we've had such great feedback over the first part of this episode. Matthew and I last on our last episode got really personal, quite existential about thinking about this book and the ramifications it's had for us. Well, we want to get into the guts of the book today and conclude it in our discussion. Uh, So hopefully you can join along with us. You've got your own questions. You've got your pen and your paper and you've got your Bible open to this book of Ecclesiastes from the teacher himself. Is it all vanity? Well, let's find out this week on Thrive Deeper. On our last episode of Thrive Deeper, if I can if I can be really, really honest and raw, we were quite honest and raw ourselves. There was a lot of mm. there was a lot and I know you don't like this, but there was a lot of Matthew Jacoby left on the on the on in the mm-hmm. episode there. There was a lot of your story and a lot of your personal, you know, journey in yeah. light of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I know that's not why you're doing this podcast. No. A little bit out of your comfort zone there. How do you feel about it two weeks on? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I was uh, probably, uh, I guess, struggling a little bit with how I... Ha- this is a very difficult book to handle from the pulpit in a preaching yep. sort of sense. And yes. I was feeling a little down, uh, feeling like I had a bit of a miss uh, in, in how I treated that so I'm a very harsh critic of myself you know like in in one sense I felt like it was sound because I I used uh, like I tried to do what the book of Ecclesiastes does which basically he uses uh, the words of a wise man there's a there's a framing author who takes words of a wise man who's lost all hope and so I grabbed some philosophers that and I put that together and you know and so in one sense it, it, it was sort of sound, but I, I just felt like it was too intellectual and, and just too alienating maybe for, for, for some people. That's that's the way that I felt and I had some feedback uh, like that. But uh, yeah, look, I, you you were mentioning just before, well, yeah. I was encouraged to hear that oh, there was some... I, I uh, want to push back on that feedback because I think going back and listening to your sermon again that you preached, opening up the book of Ecclesiastes, introducing the church to the book of Ecclesiastes, listening to that again... Uh, and and rereading Ecclesiastes like I've done a few times over this week, I really think you hit the nail on the head because you left us in a position that I think the writer of Ecclesiastes want. The reason why it's in the Bible there is to show us that without God, it's all pointless. And that's what modern philosophy mm. says. That's what the book is pointing to. And 
I know it's not comfortable to leave people. I know that as someone who leads a congregation like you do, you want to sort of you want to build mm. people up and give them hope. I think in a roundabout way you did it. You know, I think I, I think you did a really really good job. And the feedback that I've got from uh, not only listeners to the podcast but people who go to our church have been incredibly positive, incredibly uh, heartwarming. In fact, I've had two people tell me that. It was it was a sermon that they've been able to share with their atheist friends because you quoted from atheist authors that they love, and mm. so you've got a a, a a hook in to keep them listening about what how a Christian is going to take those very words and bring it back to God. So I I, I yeah yeah that's that's, that's good. <laughs> I mean it's a it's a complex uh, it's a complex task because you know ideally you want to take everyone on the journey and, yeah. and not alienate anyone and um you know i'm i'm still learning which is funny to say because i'm the, you know i'm I, I'm the, I teach homiletics and uh at um at the at melbourne school of theology and uh but i it's still very much a learning journey for me and um uh so anyway <laughs> I, i've i've learned I don't know. It's good. It's good. I do. look. I, I, I set that up like that because I wanted. I want to use this as a bit of a transition because, mm. you know, as we open up the book of Ecclesiastes on our last episode, we both got you know quite personal and existential about it. And I think I think to conclude the book of Ecclesiastes, if if anyone can actually conclude on the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm. As we look into this way, I think we get we need to go back into the text a little bit more, yeah, yeah. sort of leave ourselves out a little bit if we can, yeah. and and get into the text a little bit yeah. more and sort of cover a lot of what the teacher, what the writer is saying. Yeah. So, so let's just do a quick summary. The Book of Ecclesiastes is is a book of wisdom in the middle of the Bible in the in the Old Testament. It it uh, you know is surrounded by you know it, you know some wonderful works. You know this is where we've got Psalms, we've got Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the Book of Job, all of these, all of these works that that, that you know that point to uh, you know some bigger mysteries, how the world works, and the Ecclesiastes is really a great almost rebuttal if we look at it in context to the Book of Proverbs. The Book of Proverbs is is wise words saying the world works like this. If you do this, then you get that. Yeah. And Ecclesiastes is basically the wise this this character of the teacher or the preacher coming along and saying. It doesn't always work like that. In fact, yeah. quite often it's the opposite. And and so there's a couple of themes in the book of Ecclesiastes that we pointed out last last time. Two themes. One is the phrase under the sun, yeah, which is is in the context of the of the book saying on this earth, a naturalistic scientific worldview that leaves God up there and us down here. How does it work under the sun? Yeah. And then the other the other phrase that comes up again and again and again is depending on the translation that you're reading, you'll either hear it vanity of vanity, futility. Um, you know, uh, hevel is the Hebrew word yeah. which can mean smoke or vapor. Um, it can mean a paradox. It can mean an enigma. But you're saying that the, the 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 writer, this character of the teacher, the preacher, the one who draws people together to give him to give this wisdom, is saying it's all futility. Mm. It's smoke. It just yep. disappears. That's right. Yeah, that's that's a good summary. Um, 
and and I think it's even more complex than that. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, now I look. I I, I got up. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, early this morning I, I read through this whole book again, and um, and and I've also uh, worked through this with um with a couple of really good commentaries. Um, if if I may add a little footnote here, oh, please uh, do on that. Um. A great site. If you if you're wondering what are some good commentaries to use, there's a there's a site called Best Bible Commentaries, mm-hmm. and it collates reviews of commentaries and it gives uh, Bible commentary scores. Wow. Now, yeah, it's Best Bible Commentaries. Wait, who's, wait hang on. Be, who's, it's who? called BestCommentaries.com. Okay, I'll put a link into the show notes on this episode. Yep. So BestCommentaries.com. Now, now who's scoring it? Because, uh, well, yeah. it's it's a it's a uh, a panel of uh, scholars that who are, um, you know, it, I guess evangelical scholars. Um, I'm finding myself more and more uncomfortable with the word evangelical these days. Anyway, uh, that's another topic. Um, what what it used to mean anyway, which is yeah. basically Bible believing, you know, scholars who, who who adopt a methodology that I think is faithful to to Scripture. Um, uh, and and I I think it's accurate. I mean, I've used okay. these commentaries and Great. I think they're uh, they're very accurate. So anyway, so I. Uh, uh, and by the way, if I may add to that footnote, so I'm getting a, is a little digression here. That's good. Um, a lot of those commentaries are quite dense and scholarly, but they have um, they have symbols beside them where you like an S for a scholarly, scholarly commentary, P for more pastoral. So they have different levels as well. Wow. Uh, so uh, it's really and, and, you know. So if you want to go deeper yeah. and you want to look at what some commentaries, what pastors would be yeah. reading and teachers yeah. would be reading, That's this, right. is, this yeah. is the resource. Um, problem is with, of course, with commentaries is that they're quite expensive. Yes, <laughs> they are quite expensive. I mean, I, I use a program. I buy them into a program called Logos, which is a very big research Bible research program. But um, you know, anyway. So as I was doing, getting back to on, on track, as I was doing my, my research, and I was using probably the top four uh, rated commentaries. Yeah. Um, you know, it it struck me how much um, divergence there is on different aspects of this book, and mm-hmm. and overall, and, and my impression from reading it this morning right through is that this book is an enigma. It, it is like I felt sad at the end of it and, and I think this is where actually reading the whole thing through had a really interesting effect on me because I yep. really felt quite sad mm-hmm. and and I think that's what because because Kohelet the teacher mm-hmm. as is as is called in Hebrew uh, Kohelet one one who collects yeah, the crowds that's right. around I mean, himself he, he, he has uh, and, and the framing author, so there's, there's two people involved yes. here. There's a framing author mm-hmm. who puts forward this testimony of mm. Kohelet, mm. okay? Mm. And Kohelet has, it seems he, he, he is lamenting uh, almost kind of lost hope yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in life. Yep. And, and realizing that everything is. Uh, Fleeting and meaningless. What's the point of everything? Because we're all going to die. Ostensibly, we all go to the same place. I mean, remember he's working with an under under the sun uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, he's also working in the context of a time where they were much more vulnerable uh, than we are, a lot mm-hmm. less secure. Mm-hmm. So you could 
build up a farm and a business and bang, it'll be gone with one raid. Mm-hmm. And 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 but, military raid was a seasonal but, threat. But I tell you what, living living through uh, the the time that we're living through right now. How many small business owners do we both oh. know who have who have spent all of their finances, all of their know, life, yeah. building up a small business, and then yeah, and COVID then happens, yeah. and it's all gone. That's right, and and so uh, you know we we are less secure than we think we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, but you yeah. you are hundred percent right, I, Matt. I I cannot agree with you more that. And we're going to get to the end. I mean, I cannot wait to get to the end of this book, to the concluding remarks to the person who's putting it together. Yeah. One la- one other comment that w- I think we should say about this teacher-preacher, it's, it's someone who's either n- not in a nefarious or negative way, is either playing the part of Solomon or is an ancestor of Solomon of some way or another Jewish king, or it is Solomon himself, or it's a collected works yeah, of Solomon. Yeah. It's something, yeah. you know, putting it together, using using that type of thing. I have no problem with, with someone uh, wanting to say, hey, this is Solomon at the end of his life putting his thing yeah, together. I, that, that, that's, you know, as I got to the end of this, I thought, oh, gee, this sounds like where Solomon would have been. Yeah, of course. It really, you know, Someone yeah. who's experienced, and again, whether it's Solomon or not, we can just say, even if you want to say in, in modern modern language, imagine someone who's done it all. Imagine, yeah. you know, yeah. so, a man who has experienced it all, all the worldliness, all of the success, political success, financial success, um, you know, everything that the world has got to offer from, from business to, uh, you know, pleasure, to, uh, you know, sexuality, yeah. to everything. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he's experienced it all mm. to, that the world has got to offer. And at the end of his life, he's saying it's, yeah, it's there, meaningless. There, and there's such, a, there's such a sadness to the story yeah. of Solomon. Um, and and it's, it's a sadness that's tapped into by the writer of Kings who is asking the question from an exile perspective, yeah. where did all of this go wrong? Yeah. And he goes back to Solomon and, and there's no happy ending to that story. And, and I think, um, you know, Solomon, there's a sense in which Solomon was started off so close to God, walking with God, and yet at the end... Um, he he loses God, and there's this sadness about that, and it's a very similar story. And, and I encourage uh, folks to read is the story of Asa, king of Judah. Same tragic, tragic story. You see someone trusting in God and walking so closely with God, and then at the end of their life, they just they lose they lose hope and lose lose God. And there's this sense in the book of Ecclesiastes that he 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 has lost God, and he's left with this with this paradox of the meaninglessness of life and, yeah. and things can be so easily lost. He looks around, there just doesn't seem to be any justice. Everyone seems to go to the same place. Yeah. What's the point of anything? Are we better than the animals? Yeah. At least the animals are out there doing what they're meant to be doing, That's not right. questioning. But again, it's this is this is the thing. Rereading this rereading this again and Matt, this I'm I'm now serving you up a softball to smash it out of the park. But I mean, I know one percent of you know. I I I dip the littlest of my little finger into the world of philosophy yep. and arguing about you know. I I watch a debate you know between a a Christian apologetics man and an atheist. I'll I'll, I'll keep up to date with a little bit uh, the the minute mm. minuscule thing because it doesn't really speak to me. Yeah, doesn't challenge me where I where I am. But I know that you're all across this. But I tell you what, every argument. Mm. that is 
put forward by atheists, by philosophers, by by everybody, is summed up in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, yeah, probably wouldn't say by everybody, but um, <laughs> but uh, this, th- I mean, really, I, okay. Let, let me let me speak let me speak to that. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I will speak to that as a lecturer in philosophy, so I'll, <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll I won't take this very far, but I will take this a, a little way. I, I, I said um, in the last episode that philosophy for me, um, my foray into philosophy, even atheistic philosophy, is like putting on a spacesuit and going out of our life-giving atmosphere into the darkness of space. And, you know, when astro- and, and, and I said that the, the astronaut suit is like my biblical worldview, yeah. is a very solid biblical worldview, and I yep. don't recommend doing that unless you have a very Secure sealed suit. up, you know, good, good, yeah. uh, good biblical worldview. But what happens is, is that I go out there, and like astronauts, when they go out to space and they look back in the Earth and they realise how beautiful the Earth is. Yeah. And this is the effect that it has on me. You know, this is when I go out into the, you know, I- into the, you know, extremes the void. Of, of, the void. Uh, of, you know, atheistic philosophy um, and a lot of it is very consistent. Now, you know, first of all, there was uh, very interesting philosophers who's, who's now, you know, I mean, very, has in the 20th century and, and even now is very popular, has been very popular as Friedrich Nietzsche. And he pointed out, he was the one that popularized the saying that God is dead. And and he does that, puts that on the lips of, of a, in a parable called the parable of the madman, who has this madman who has realized what Western society has done, that we've, we have... We've gotten rid of the of the foundations of everything that gave us our values and yes. our meanings. Uh, we, we have lost that now. Yeah. Now, now Nietzsche thinks we need to get rid of that, but because he's he's coming from an atheistic point of view. But he says the thing is is that we haven't allowed ourselves to recognise the implications of mm. of this death of God. Mm. You know, and he. He wants to point out that we have, and in the parable of the madman, he uses this illustration. It's like we have unlocked the earth from its orbit around the sun. Wow. And we are plummeting into empty space. Yeah. And and he says a lot of people aren't going to be able to handle that. We need the courage to face what is essentially now the, the darkness and the meaninglessness uh, of life. Mm-hmm. Now, that's very bleak, but when I, I mean, I've read all of Nietzsche's works mm. um, and... Uh, you, you know, years ago when I did my graduate uh, degree at Deakin, I waded through uh, and wrote a minor thesis on Nietzsche. And, and I, as a Christian, was saying, amen, amen. Even though he's coming from that point of view, yet he yep. was consistently pointing out the bleakness of that worldview. If you accept and isn't, that premise, isn't that what the book of Ecclesiastes... That's exactly what the book of Ecclesiastes does. Another very interesting philosopher, and I've mentioned him before, um, is because... In it, at present, there are a number of philosophers like um, uh, Michael Ruse, uh, I think it's Thomas Nagel, um, and others who have attempted to construct um, uh, ways of finding life meaningful mm-hmm. um, based purely on a naturalistic, atheistic point under of view. Under the sun. Yeah, the, uh, from an under the sun point of view. A mm. uh, very important philosopher who has criticised that endeavour is... Um, David Benatar and David Benatar has pointed out very consistently in a book called uh, The Human Predicament that, uh, that it's impossible to do that. He says that you can recover some terrestrial meaning mm. uh, to life but but that you cannot 
but you cannot say that the whole thing is meaningful. So you can say, you know, I, I draw a sense of subjective meaning yes. from contributing to society, bringing up children, you know, being good to others, that there's a sense of subjective meaning to that. Yep. But he points out, I think very validly, that there is no objective sense of meaning if there isn't a God. Yeah. Now, he, David Benatar is an atheist, okay? Mm. Now, what he is saying is that there is simply no meaning to life. And he says, he says this really... There is there is an agony in the meaningful in meaninglessness of life that makes makes it makes life a cruel cruel predicament. And his his uh, second major book is called Better Never to Have Been. Wow. Now the writer of Ecclesiastes says exactly, exactly that it would be better if I had never been born. And honestly, when I read um, when I read um, this this book because I read both these books and I'm uh, uh, you're talking about some Benatar's, time ago yeah Benatar's book yep. um, I mean I joked in my message about reading them for my congregation I didn't do that I read them as a as a lecture in philosophy and yeah. I it was like reading the book of Ecclesiastes goodness me I, yeah. I read these books which are saying there is no meaning to life we just have to face that uh, we, it, we, it would be better if we were not born there's another philosopher called Emile Kioran a Romanian French philosopher who wrote a book called The Problem with Being Born. And, mm. and you know, again, as I read through that, uh, it was like reading the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and, again, this is me out in space, out in the darkness of space, but looking back at my Christian worldview, mm. saying, seeing in the, against the darkness of, of that, mm. seeing, thank God, that there is such a rich purpose to life in the light of the reality of God. Now, this is uh, getting back to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, at the end, and I'm, I'll say one thing about the end, which yeah. I think is uh, is important oh. um, framing thing here. Cannot wait to get there. Um, <laughs> he says here, I'm just turning my wife off because my daughter, my daughter is trying to contact me through my... Anyway, um, he says... The teacher searched to find, and actually, I'm I'm going to. Um, you, you keep going. I'm just going to switch off that heater. I'm cooking. Yep, that's right. The are we record? Are we still recording this? <laughs> okay. Um, that's right. Um, so he says in verse ten that of what chapter of. Chapter 12, like right at the end. Yes. The teacher searched to find just the right words, uh, and what he wrote is upright and true. Now, that's not the best uh, translation. I think a better translation is provided by a commentator, and it says, Kohelet, uh, the teacher, sought to find words of delight and to write honestly words of truth. In the, in the New Living Translation, indeed, the teacher taught the plain truth, and he did so in an interesting way. <laughs> that's a great. That's actually really good. Yeah, a really good translation. Uh, and, and then he says, "The words of the wise are like goads; their collected sayings are firmly embedded nails or pricks." Okay, given by one shepherd. Now, most commentators would say the one shepherd is God, and so this is interesting. 
it's an interesting framing of the words of Kohelet because basically he's saying he is a wise man. Uh-huh. Now, he, he's not saying that what he says are the words of God, mm-hmm. but he's saying that God has provided these wise men yeah. to remind us of certain realities. So he's actually validating Kohelet's persp- very dark perspective. It's like me reading, you know, Nietzsche or Emil Kioran or David Bennett are these atheistic philosophers who are saying that without God, life is meaningless, and saying Amen. Yeah. Uh, in the same, and, and because I find that there's such a consistency to you see, they're wanting to. Uh, be consistent with their premise, which is atheism, and so, that's exactly what the writer of Ecclesiastes is doing. It's so funny you've you've jumped to that verse because that verse leapt out to me this morning when I yeah. I, I, I re I, I re listened. I've been doing a lot of listening to the scripture this year, yeah. and I re listened to this to the last half of Ecclesiastes in three different translations this morning. Yeah, and this verse leapt out of me, yeah. and the picture is is a beautiful picture of of a shepherd. Wanting the sheep to move in a certain direction. So the good shepherd wants the sheep to move towards God. And there you have a sleeping sheep. A sheep yeah. that's just not yeah. even paying attention. Right. And he gets his, he gets, and, and, and you do research about the shepherd's hooks that they're holding. Yeah. And some of them on one end had a really pointy end yeah. to shove into the bum of the sheep, you know, the backside of the sheep to and wake, wake up. up. Yeah. Wake up. And, he, and, the, and the, that's right. And, and it's so, a rude awakening. That's right. And so. What what the framing narrator is saying, yeah. or the framing editor is saying, is that uh, this these Kohelet's words are like a stick, a pointy stick yeah. to wake, wake us, us up. up. And this is where I think, because because often I will hear Ecclesiastes quoted from, uh, you know, I mean this is as as, and I want to be cautious about uh, how I say this, mm. like quote from. Kohelet, the teacher, and this is God's. This is what God says. Yeah. Uh, um, th- th- yeah. It's a little bit more complex than that. Yes. This is part of the canon of Scripture, yes. but it's being and and in a sense, from a certain perspective, what he's saying is true. Yeah. But um, it is it is a very sad perspective. So because yeah. we've got to remember, this is where this is complex. Yeah. This is wisdom literature. Uh, but it's but again, this is the. Again, we sometimes we want to be so simple in our faith that we we ended up we end up becoming you know we're standing on something so small that it's so easy to trip us up. It's the same for any many many parts in the New Testament. I'll give an example. You just reminded me of one. I had someone say, "Yeah, but the Bible says what is truth?" And I was oh, like, yeah. "I was like, hang on, what, yeah. that was Pilate. Yeah, but it's in the Bible, and the, all and you Christians say that all the Bible is the Word of God, and I'm like." That's not how that works. Yeah. It's the same for Ecclesiastes. That's right. Yeah, it would be like quoting Pilate and say, "Well, God says." Well, hang on. No, 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 no. Yeah. Well, the other example is the Book of Job, isn't it? You yeah. have all of these speeches yes. by guys that get it wrong. Yeah. I mean, well, well, here's the interesting thing. From a certain perspective, they're right, yeah. but they don't have the right perspective. And um, this wisdom literature is all about perspective. Yeah. And so th- this is this is the sad the sadness of. The, the the Kohelet is held up uh, in a sense um, as if to say life can be so empty and meaningless. Like we need a bigger perspective. Oh, can can I be, can I? I'm going to be real. I'm going to even though we're saying we're not going to get personal on this episode. There is. Uh, 
uh, let me let me tell a story and I'll bring it back to bring it back to Ecclesiastes. I have lived, you know, lived a, a, a bizarre life and gotten a lot of bizarre friends. Yep. You know, Christian, non-Christian. Yep. Fair enough. Yep. Yeah, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> Am I one of those bizarre? No, friends? You're, 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 well, yes, but you know, <laughs> but again, in the I've got many non-Christian friends, yeah. uh, people who um, believe, you know, from atheism, uh, people who are trans, people who are, you know, LG, you know, all LGBT, you know, rainbow. You know, all every spectrum. Uh, God has blessed me. I yeah. feel with a wide, diverse group yeah. of people. Now, every now and then, I will encounter one of these people with one of my sons in tow, and there's nothing better that I enjoy than literally. And I'll think of one example in particular. There's a there's a gentleman that I know who is not a Christian who has. He's a 60-year-old American who he's one of these people that when I'm talking to him, he will literally say, yeah, yeah, and that reminds me when I was working on the oil fields of Kuwait for the German government. And I'm like, wait, 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 what, what, what? He literally throws stories out like that. Like when I was going undercover for the CIA and the, what? When I was working in Papua New Guinea for the, like he's got these crazy stories, right, about all over the world. And in the end, he is... This type of character, right, he is yeah. like, it's all meaningless. Like, yeah. do, enjoy what you have now. Get yourself a good wife. Yeah, do, you know. Yeah. Da, da, da. He says he's I've been there with my sons, yeah. and 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 he's often been drinking too much. He, he you yeah. know, he's tend yeah. he's tend to be a drinker as well. And I will literally throw my sons to him, yeah, and say, go go. His name is Fred. Go talk to Fred, and Fred will literally curse like a sailor. He will throw all these different philosophies out to them. And I watch my boys being polite and being respectful. And he loves my boys because they're good mm. they're good young men. And he loves them. And he's giving them advice and advice that I would never give. Yeah. And I'm watching them in the, in the throes of that. And afterwards, I, we have a chance to sit down and go, yeah. well, what do you think about that? Yeah. And he go, and they're like, wow, man, I don't know. He said this. and But yeah. that doesn't mean... And they're able to it's shock them awake. Yeah. Yeah. To to us to have a deeper conversation. Mm. I think I think of the teacher Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. In, in Ecclesiastes to be the same type of thing. God is sort of throwing us into this conversation yeah. with this guy who's led this life and is yeah. despairing to make us wake up and go, Wow, we, yeah. we really need him. It's interesting. I, I've been reading just recently um the uh a couple of books by uh, an American philosopher called John Zerzan, and he, he, his view is that humanity um, pretty much went downhill between the Paleolithic and the Neolithic stage. So, oh, so, so ba- basically, everything since the agricultural revolution oh, is uh, w- w- we have, com- w- you know, w- we have gone completely out of touch with each other, our environment, our, you know. Uh, so basically what he's saying is everything about the world is fundamentally corrupt. Now I'm reading this guy yeah. saying amen. <laughs> amen. Yep, totally. Because and interestingly he actually even quotes the I mean he's an atheist a philosopher. Yeah. He quotes the Bible wow. to say that the Bible contains this memory of of a period when before the agricultural revolution, before yeah. cities, because remember Cain is the city builder, he, and ostensibly yeah. Adam and Eve live off their environment, very much in touch mm. with their environment, you, and and so, um, and I 
and and he basically and I, again he's very very consistent to show how the agricultural revolution you know where you cluster it's all about ownership people clustered in places it was all about building armies the conflict and he shows the inherent corruptness of that whole trajectory that leads to date now um so i i heard a um an interview with uh, a philosopher called noam chomsky very um, popular uh, yeah, and and it was put to him, you know, and Noam, what, what do you think of John Zerzan's, uh, you know, view that that you know we've got to get back to the basically the the Paleolithic, you know, we we, we completely lost the plot after the Paleolithic, wow. Paleolithic period, uh, which is more or less, you know, again from from a biblical point of view that there's there's something there, you know yeah. what I mean? From the and fall, it's yeah, basically that's right. after the fall, yeah. it all went downhill. Exactly. Well, yes, it did. That's right, exactly. <laughs> and so that's where I'm reading this book, saying, "Amen, amen." Um, uh, and uh, Noam Chomsky says something really interesting. He says, "He says if that's true, we are lost." And he said, it, so, so for, for Noam Trump, it's, it can't be true because otherwise we are completely lost and without hope. Mm. And, and this is the thing. It's like we, they, people won't allow themselves to face the truth because mm. uh, it, they almost can't handle it. Mm. Now, as a Christian, I can read you know, that book. One of his, his, uh, the, the book that I'm reading at the moment is called um, A People's History of the world or something like that and there's another one called Against Civilization John Zerzan um, we'll put all the links in the show notes but big asterisk warning you know we're not recommending that you go out oh, and oh, read yeah, these yeah, look, books this, this is, yeah this is stuff from an atheistic point uh, you know point of view and, and I mean you know it's really interesting reading anyway um, but as a Christian I can say amen to that because I have hope beyond this world system. Amen. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. agree with Noam Chomsky that we can't, if that's true, and I believe it is true, yeah. then we can't do anything about it. And Noam's, and Noam's uh, conclusion that we are lost is exactly, yeah, where, that's exactly right. right. And when I say we can't do, I mean in and of ourselves in yeah. our own strength. I believe Jesus is and is going to do something about it. Like ultimately what we need in this world is a complete, uh, you know, upturn. Anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting, but getting off track here <laughs> it's a good track <laughs> but my point is is that again it was like reading the book of ecclesiastes and and that that interview with um, noam chomsky where he says if that's true we are lost mm. and i just had this ecclesiast moment it was like the goad <laughs> yes thank you i love it i love it well well let's leave that there so we've made the basic point that i that i want to do and matt you've 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 really summed it up beautifully you know, and, I, and I'm overstating it, of course, that all of modern philosophy, in one sense, in a very simplistic sense, maybe, ec- is echoed in, in yeah, the Yeah, there the certainly book. are major streams of modern philosophy that echo this book, yes. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and not only echo the book of Ecclesiastes, but remember, we've, we've got Ecclesiastes in the middle of Proverbs and Job as well, and I think the Bible gives us these books to, to sort of get us prepared to have these conversations. Listen, let's take a break real quick. We'll have a breather. Uh, we'll listen to some, uh, you know, really interesting news, and then we're going to come back and conclude this look at the book of Ecclesiastes here on Thrive Deeper.
Hey there, family. It's your old buddy DJ here. And listen, I know you want to hit that skip button, but please don't fast forward just yet. I've got a couple of pieces of important information I want to share with you. And then I promise we get to conclude Ecclesiastes with Matt in just a moment. Let me just bend your ear for just a second. These last two episodes of Thrive Deeper that you've been listening to, Thrive 105 and 106, that go over the book of Ecclesiastes, well, they sort of mirror up and match up really well with our last two episodes of Thrive Perspectives. We've had so many comments about Thrive Perspectives, the last two episodes called Death and Immortality with Dr. Clay Jones, our first special guest on Thrive Perspectives. And the two podcasts sort of match up together in you looking at Ecclesiastes philosophy and death and immortality. I really recommend that you listen to all four together. So that's Thrive Perspectives. Make sure you subscribe to that podcast, our sister podcast, as we like to call it, over at thrivetoday.tv. You can find all the links there. Now, the second piece of information I wanted to share with you is exactly that. Head over to thrivetoday.tv. Behind the scenes here, and I'll just pull back the curtain a little moment, we're about to start doing some work on our studio. Our studio that we have, we've got builders coming in, we've got some people working on it, and it all costs money. It all costs, well, during these COVID times, it costs a lot of money, actually. So if you can help in any way financially, if you feel that this podcast is important to your spiritual life, we would be asking you very humbly, to get involved at thrivetoday.tv. You can find a way to donate and support us right there on the front page. You'll see a button there to donate. You can support us financially with either a monthly subscription or a one-off gift, whatever works for you. And all of that money goes towards keeping Thrive Podcasts free for everybody. So if you're able to give, head over to thrivetoday.tv. I'll leave it at that. Now let's get back into Ecclesiastes with Matt here on Thrive Deep. Thrive Deeper, episode 106. Matthew and I are going to try to conclude the book of Ecclesiastes. We keep saying we're going to get to the text and we're sort of flying all over the place. Uh, Matt, the, the one thing I love about this, the, the teacher, this wise old teacher who's jaded and mm. cynical and everything like that, he, like, he really admits to some foibles in his own life. And even for us as modern readers, there's some things in there that really make us go, gee whiz, I don't know if I agree with this guy. Like, he admits to owning slaves. He doesn't have anything. He literally has nothing nice to say about women. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. Like, what he said in chapter seven, I think, to the end of women, uh, the talking about women, he basically says, look, uh, you know, be careful of all women. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, listen, one in 1,000 men, is it 1,000 or 10,000 yeah. men, are somewhat upright. Yeah. Never met an upright woman. <laughs> it's yeah. like, whoa, okay, buddy. Chill well, out. And again, you know, we have to underscore the fact that that 
this is being drawn yes. from a sort like it's like an atheistic source almost. Yeah. And and it's being used in a certain way. So this isn't this doesn't represent the way God wants us to think. This is an example of kind of how not Oh, to think in a way, one hundred percent. I found I found the uh, I found the verses here at the end of chapter seven. This is amazing. Listen to this. Uh, you love the little curly. Uh, I, I love this. I love this. And again, dear 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 ladies, please don't uh, throw me out with this one, and don't throw out the book of Ecclesiastes either. The end of chapter seven, verse twenty-seven. This is my conclusion, says the teacher. I came to this result after looking into the matter from every possible angle, and just one. Out of every thousand men I interviewed can be said to be upright, but not one woman. (laughs) That's terrible. That's terrible. It's terrible. So, but my point with that is, um, well, we've got a terrible teacher in a sense. Like he is. Well, he has obviously has a very dysfunctional life. And and, um, if this reflects Solomon in some way, then. His relationship with women was was his downfall, and, and, and we see that in the life yeah, of someone. And that was completely. his fault, not the women's fault. Yes. So, um, yeah. So, I think again, underscoring the fact that that this is uh, a very unfortunate perspective that yes. is being presented. You know, uh, um, a lot of th- there are a lot of very m- memorable aspects to this book. Yes. You know, the famous poem, there is a time for everything, yes. a season for every activity under the heavens. Yep. Time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, time to uproot. Um, you know, there's different views on the role of this. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of people are saying, basically the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, yes, that's true, but we have no control over that. We've got to work with it. There's a yeah. sort of a determinism yes. uh, about this. And so it becomes it becomes something that is, uh, you know, in, in a way the teacher is casting a shadow on the, this sense of determinism in life. Yep. Um, he, 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 like, I don't know why this has happened. This is where he says in, in a verse 11, he has set eternity in human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning. Exactly. So he's basically saying, we have this desire to understand yeah. what is going on here. Yeah. And, and yet it's completely unreachable for us. And he, that is like cruelty for him. Yeah. And he's, he says that multiple times. This, the, it's important to remember that the teacher, in in no sense, he he echoes a lot of the book of Proverbs. He has some very proverbial sayings in what he says. He he allude not alludes to. He flat out says that God is in control. God is you know we, yep. we you know we live you know un, under the sun is underneath God in a sense, and God is doing His thing. But he he keeps on saying, but it's a mi- like yeah. trying to understand God is a complete mystery. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so we're stuck in this sort of cycle of you know we sow at this time and yeah. we reap at that time, we laugh at that time, and we live at this time, and then we just die at this time. And there's this time for everything. And yet, then he says in verse nine at the end of this, what, what's you know often celebrated poem. Yeah. He's, in verse nine, he finishes it off with, and what do workers gain from their toil? Yeah. <laughs> so in other words, it's all. It, it's all meaningless in the sense that um, it's it's incomprehensible, and this is where you know some people point out that the word meaningless also can have this sense of incomprehensibility. Yeah. 
I think most commentators lean towards the futility interpretation of the word Hevel. Yeah. But there is this sense of incomprehensibility an there as well. It's yeah. just an enigma. Yeah. You know, we, we, we have this desire, this divinely implanted desire to understand he complains. Yeah. And yet it's completely beyond us. Yeah. So there's this sense almost at times it's like we're stuck in this hamster wheel. Yeah. Um, we are like Sisyphus rolling the the stone, you know, in oh. the Greek mythology, rolling the stone to the top, top of the hill yeah. uh, only to watch it roll, roll back, back down again and then we're condemned to this endless process of rolling the stone the, back The other the thing hill. I love about Ecclesiastes, and you, and you touch on it, Matt, is is the, 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 the teacher, the preacher, his beautiful ways that he points to what is man's, the what I believe is the innate state of man's heart is a desire for beauty, yeah. a desire for yeah. order, a desire yeah. for working things out, a desire for eternity, a desire to understand God, and yet it all points us in that direction, but left to our own devices, we will never, yeah. like it is a it is a pointless exercise. Yeah. And that heartbreak of, man, of mankind's condition is so summed up well in his, in, his, yeah. in his teaching. That's right. And he says in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Oh. And that sounds, uh, you know, like it sounds nice and nice and that inspirational, but he has a problem with the fact yes. that it comes and goes. Like, you know, the flowers, you know, the flowers bloom and then they all fall to the ground again. And for him, <laughs> you know, the, you know that, that's a sense what, in a sense, what life is like. Like, for example, he says you can build up, you know, you can build up wealth and prosperity and everything can be going well and you can lose it in an instant. So, mm. you know, everything's beautiful in its time and, and he's struggling he's struggling with that from yeah. this under the sun perspective. And and that's again again, keep in mind this is the shepherd's pointy stick. You know, he but basically the teacher is saying in the in the sense of God using a pointy stick to wake us up God has given us beauty, a desire for eternity, a desire to for or for, for for order in the midst of chaos, and the fact that we cannot achieve it because yeah. we are fundamentally broken yeah. is meant to wake us up yeah, to go. Right. We need something more. We need yeah. something more. Yeah, that's right. So he says in in verse four, he says. Um, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living oh. who are still alive, uh, but better than both is the one who has never been born. And, I mean, again, this just sounds uh, so much like, you know, David Benadar's book, Better Never to Have Been. And he's, you know, he's, uh, he's actually um, an, what's called an antinatalist, so that he believes that having children is an act of cruelty, uh, fundamentally. And, you know, an- antinatalism is, is, is a thing. I mean, this... You know, these philosophers certainly aren't in the uh, don't have don't have a general well, uptake. But le- let me let me let me push back on that a little bit. There is a growing movement of, um, and it's and it, and I'm and I'm and I'm seeing it more and more in wider aspects of Western culture that the most noble thing that you can do as a enlightened atheist is not have children. Yeah, well, because of the environment. Because of your carbon footprint, and because of the futility of the world, and population, yeah, popul- uh, and all of those yeah. things, and so even though it might be in a different disguise, that sentiment of antinatalism right. is is well, out well, there in fr- culture. From that premise, because yes. of course, from a from a Christian world, biblical worldview point, there is gr- it's it's an, you know go forth and multiply, and, yeah. and it's it's filled with purpose mm. uh, having having children it's a wonderful thing but from this perspective yes uh, and and from the uh, 
ecclesi- writer of Ecclesiastes or the Kohelet's, the teacher's perspective, there's nothing positive about it. And, and the argument that, um, that David Benatar makes is a very consistent argument. I mean, he wants to show that, it, that, that uh, we're, we're bringing uh, children into a painfully futile world and it would be better that they weren't born and, and we're just being selfish by having children. You know, and again, I'm reading this thing, oh, this is a terrible dark perspective, yeah. but he is being consistent with his worldview. With, with his worldview. And again, being out in the darkness of space looking back into the Christian worldview, you know, I'm saying, no, but there is immense significance and purpose. Yes. Uh, in, and it's in God's purpose. But if yeah. you don't have that, uh, it, 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 you're left with a very dark and bleak situation. No, and not, so, so again, I, I love this. We're touching on all the darkest parts of, of Ecclesiastes, and the and the thing that the, the thing that is woven into Ecclesiastes that he that he sums up really really well um, is what again the same concept we have in the book of Romans is that there is no righteous person on earth. Human human beings are fallen creatures we are all sinners yeah. there is none of us that are righteous you know and the yeah. and the and the teacher goes on and says that in no uncertain terms in yeah. ecclesiastes you know um uh, you know uh, wickedness will you know he talks about wickedness in all of the earth there's not That's one right. part yeah. that isn't you know touched by sin yeah well well he he actually and this is an interesting thing in moving into into chapter 5 ecclesiastes 5 he does have a see of course, atheism doesn't exist in the ancient world, no. uh, and and he appears to have a a biblical, some kind of biblical view of of God. Because remember, yes. Kohelet is a king of Israel, so mm. he's a lost king of Israel, and mm-hmm. this is where the Solomonic character this just yes. matches that Solomonic um, character so much. So in chapter five, he talks about going into the house of God. You know, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Uh, go near to listen rather to, than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Mm. So he's even saying the religious system is even futile. Yeah. Because what he sees, what he observes, is people going up to the temple. They just don't care. Yeah. Uh, they, they're offering these sacrifices. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. Now, again, isn't this the view, the outside view of Christianity yeah. for atheists? Because, again, if you're on the outside, that's all you see. All you see mm. is empty practice, something that just looks like empty religion. Mm. What What is highlighted to you is the hypocrisy. Mm. Because the beauty of it you don't see because you can only see the beauty of it from the, the inside, inside, right? Yeah. It's like, and, and, and you know, I mean, we'll talk about this when we get to, this, when we get to Song of Solomon, which I think mm. we're going to cover next uh, In the next, next episode. episode. Yeah. Um, you know, I... I often say when when you see you know two people who are who are doing you know lovey dovey talk to each other and mm. and and it all looks a bit pathetic from the outside, <laughs> but actually from the inside it makes perfect sense and, yeah. and you know from from the outside it's you know it you know spirituality and religious practice just looks so hypocritical and empty mm. and and it mm. all looks futile and it can be mm. you know f- from a perspective it can be so it's interesting that he he is commenting even on that. And and he's but he's presenting, you know. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart. He says to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth. So let your words be few. Mm. So he's not he's not denying that it may have some role, but he's just saying just shut up, <laughs> really, just shut up and and uh, you know um, you know mm. l- listen to God uh, and 
and he thinks that the whole offering sacrifices thing is it's all empty religion. And in a, in a sense, there are other parts of scripture that affirm that prophets talk to yeah. talk about the empty religious practice, and they vie uh, against that. And so. Again, he's looking at that from the outside. From the, exactly that's the a same really thing. important. That's a really important part. Saying from the outside, but he gets the thing about this. The thing about the teacher, the preacher here that we're that we're presented with in Ecclesiastes, is he goes one step further than what I think even most modern people, whether you're Christian or not, are comfortable in going. Yeah, right. You ask most people, Christian or not, Christian. About you push them about what they really think about mankind and humanity. Yeah, and most people, I believe, sadly and wrongly, yeah, and I don't think I side with the with the teacher here in the Ecclesiastes. So, what do you think about humanity? And most people say, "Well, look, in the end, most people are good. Most humans want to do good and do you know? There's that sense of most of humanity is good type of mm. thing. You know what? People are actually good. Pe- no, not according to the, the, you know, the teacher. He says, you know, wickedness is in the heart of everyone, and we are awful, and we are all, you know, yeah, well, you know. That's right. And well, the biblical view there is not that everything that everyone does is bad. Yeah. So it doesn't deny that that people do good things and that there is good, but it's saying that everything is tainted. Yes. Everything is tainted by. Uh, by corruption, you know. Yeah. Um, th- I think that's an important point to make because mm. it's. Um, but also, and, and even a bigger perspective is that the whole system, and this is what I think actually helpfully John Zerzan uh, highlights, yeah. is that the whole system that we live in is fundamentally wrong and going the wrong way. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so, tech, you know, progress, I mean, which is a big idea in yes. our time, and and in fact, that's where some atheists try to find meaning is our meaning is in the progress yeah. of the human race progress well i tell you there's one thing i appreciate about john zerzan's works is that he just completely shuts that down yeah i mean i think even even the atheist yuval noah harari in his book um sapiens and um and homo deus i think he even i mean he sort of advocates progress but then he points out all the con- contradictions and how bad this can go yeah <laughs> you know and so so you're left with this very bleak view of well progress doesn't look like progress mm. so you know i think the 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 writer of ecclesiastes is recognizing or sorry the teacher yeah. in ecclesiastes is recognizing that taintedness of everything you know where mm. it's all tainted uh and but most of all the whole system is, is just yeah it's just it's, it's all it's broken. misdirected yeah because one of the things that he struggles with is the fact that there is oppression, evil. I mean, he's struggling with the evil in the world. You work for something. You don't get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Yep. You know, wicked people uh, live uh, well and and you know, good people uh, uh, seem to be punished. Yep. Everyone says, dies It's all in the meaningless, yes. he yes. says. And he, but he, he, again, he, I believe that he even goes one step, like we've, we've, we're going further down, you know, into the dark yep. abyss in one sense, but he makes it even worse. The book, the writer of Ecclesiastes, not the writer, again, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, uh, the preacher, has one f- final step that makes it worse than I think for most most atheists would say. He says, yeah, all of this, you know, death, wickedness in the human heart, misplaced this, but he makes it one step further that most, m- most philosophers wouldn't say. He says, and you're all going to be judged by God. 
you're all accountable. Yeah. You're all accountable. It's madness, it's futile, and you're all accountable. And you're like, well, hang on, how bad can it get? <laughs> That's right. This is, this is even worse. Yeah, and, and, and if I may go a little deeper into the darkness yeah. uh, of, of the book of Ecclesiastes, seeing yeah. we're having so much fun, um, uh, verse in uh, chapter 5, verse 19, he says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. Now, that sounds... Uh, that sounds quite positive, but it's actually not as positive as you think because he's complaining that life is like a cosmic lottery. Mm. You know, some people, for whatever reason, win the cosmic lottery yeah. and, and have it good and other people don't. Yeah. And he's basically saying, look, if you, if you have it good, good for you. Yeah. Now, I mean, so if, if this is characterized, if, if the... Um, Kohelet is characterized as Solomon. Well, Solomon, he sort of did win the cosmic lottery because he was born into a very wealthy situation because yep. David won all, you know, the, the, you know, really won this, um, uh, a lot of prosperity yes. for, for Israel. But then he also lost it at the end. I mean, at the end of Solomon's life, he's selling off towns mm. to pay off debts. He's overworking his people. It's mm. all, when he, all, he's, all facing, he's facing a complete implosion at the yeah. end of his life. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that, uh, but that's what happened to yeah. Solomon. And so he gains, he loses, mm. and here he's complaining, life is like this cosmic lottery. You mm. can win, you can lose, you can win and then lose, mm. or you can not win at all. Yes. Or you, And he's saying if you win, you might as well just enjoy it. Yeah. So there's a cynicism oh. uh, even there. Yeah, yeah. But again, underscoring the fact this is from this very unfortunate perspective. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I, I, I think we're running out of time. I mean, we can go further down the ladder here. We've really descended into what I believe. that The reason why we have this is because I think God wants us to descend down this ladder yeah. to wake us up and realize that un- without God, this is what this is all true. Yeah, that's right. And and I think one of the things that, again, underscores the fact that this is a terrestrial perspective. It's an under... Uh, sorry, to, that was... By terrestrial, I mean this is an earthly perspective. Um, and it's highlighted by the fact that he says we all go to the same place when we die. Mm-hmm. We, you know, uh, the wicked, the righteous, the animals, it's yep. all just, it's all hopeless. Well, yep. from a purely worldly perspective, we do, and yep. that's the perspective. But we know that actually this is a blip, this is a tiny little blip uh, in any, t- and this is what we, uh, in Thrive Perspectives, it's yes. discussed with um, our friend Clay Jones, is that. This life is a little blip in a eternity stretching out before us. Mm. Now, that gives us perspective. This yeah. isn't all there is. Yeah. And actually, that gives there is purpose to now. Mm. Uh, and the purpose is to find God, serve God's purpose, um, so that we can live with God forever, glorify God, enjoy Him forever. Yeah. There is immense sense of purpose. Mm. And what we are offered is in the book of Ecclesiastes is a chance to appreciate that, is a chance, like as I said, to go out like an astronaut mm. into the cold, lifeless darkness of space, mm. to stand on the lifeless moon, as it were, yeah. and to actually... Because imagine, it's it. like an astronaut standing out in the moon, and the earth, if there's no Earth, and you just it's like this is complete darkness and yeah. cold and lifelessness. Yeah. But as what we have in the book of Ecclesiastes is this view like an astronaut out in cold, dark space, standing on the moon, looking back at the earth, saying, I'm so thankful yeah. that 
there is purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That God has revealed himself, that there is light in this darkness. Because if there wasn't, then this is all then this is all there would be. So, you know, this is his goad. This is oh, his pointy stick that he uses that the 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 pain and the darkness of Ecclesiastes is like, folks, wake up because if you don't walk with God, you are in outer dark space trying to live your life on the moon yeah. it's a really uh, bleak existence so so the words of the teacher well let's let's fast forward to the end here chapter 12 ecclesiastes is only 12 chapters and it's such a brief read it's so yeah. easy to get through chapter 11 um uh, you know, uh, talking about you know some, some more great advice. He builds it up, and then chapter twelve, he concludes with a beautiful, well quoted, often quoted uh, illustration about old age. You know, and he's alluding to you know he's he's using all these um, uh, what do you call it metaphors about old age. You know that the yeah. you know yeah. the windows windows are dim and everything as he's getting older. So this is painting a picture of a you know of an old ruler, old Solomon, realizing that you know. Young people enjoy what you've got because when you get old, every body begins to fail. Everything yep. is failing, yep. and at the end, in the end, he says, "You know, your spirit will return to God who gave it. All is meaningless. All is all is havel." Says the teacher, utterly, utterly meaningless. Yep. Havel, havel, havel. And then the author comes back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the, and the last few verses here, literally the last five verses uh, of of the book. Is the the uh, the author coming back and and stepping outside of the teacher? Mm. It's like me me with my sons, letting them have these experiences with these crazy teachers, and then debriefing, and then debriefing yeah. afterwards. He comes in and debriefs us and says, "Okay, I love it." So, how are you going? There? Yeah. This has been a pointy stick, isn't he? He's saying, this has been a pretty pointy stick. I hope it's woken you up. Yeah. And uh, and he finishes with these words, uh, now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, let, let me just explain something about that perspective. Yeah. The judgment thing uh, indicates that there actually is a purpose to life for yeah. which we are accountable. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so oh, that's like, uh, oh, so that there's a there can only be judgment if there was a plan and a purpose in the first place. Mm. So that's actually good news. But the point is, is that make sure you get in line, make sure you don't live a futile life, mm. because we are accountable for living a life of meaning. That's the point there, mm. and because and there are these two elements that he says here: fear God, keep His commandments. Now, the fear of the Lord isn't scary. I'm going to. Uh, kind of run away, I'm yeah. scared of God. It's actually uh, an absolute regard for God. Um, respect. Yeah, it's absolute respect. That's in 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 this uh, context, in a biblical context, what the fear of the Lord means. It's absolute regard, absolute respect to God. You sh- we should, and, and it's a fear that drives us not away from God, not a scary fear, but a fear that drives us to God. Exactly. Okay. So it's exactly. a fear of ever living without God and with God's purpose, in a sense. It's a fear of being in co- in conflict with God. Okay. Mm. Absolute regard for God. That I mean, goodness me, there's some good advice. Yeah. Like get connected with God and yes. how God views your life, and you know, have absolute regard for God every day. What is God thinking of me? What What does God want from me today? Mm. Uh, Every moment, not not regard for what other people think because we we can fear what other people think mm-hmm. and live by that fear. No, 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 no. Live with an absolute regard for God every moment of every day. Mm. 
keep his commandments. Now, this is not just following the rules. Um, this is the commands of God uh, refer to God's mandate, mm-hmm. uh, who God wants us to be as, as a people, God's yeah. commission for us yes. um, to be uh, vessels of blessing in the world. Mm. You know, mm. this is a wonderful purpose that we actually have yeah. to be blessed, to be a blessing. You know, yeah. th- that purpose is beautifully summed up in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. Yeah. You know, uh, God sets us up so that through us blessing may come to others. Yeah, and there's an innate sense, especially in the midst of this wisdom literature, especially coming from Psalms and Proverbs previously, is when you you read about obeying commands and fearing God, it's about intimate relationship. Yeah. It's about you can't obey the commands, you can't obey the mandates, you can't understand where this is unless you've got an intimate relationship like that. You know, that's that. right. It, it, yeah. To me, it echoes the words of Psalm, you know, 119, where just the psalm writer is continually saying, I love your commands, I love the word, I'm going to do them because of this intimate relationship yeah. I have with you. And I think that's what the, what the author yeah. is sort of saying here. Understand how you fit in. Understand the words of God. Understand where you fall in it all, and you experience this beautiful right. wisdom, That's the right. fear of God. And, and then you will be able to navigate through the rise and fall of the things that happen in this life. Because, yes, things, you know, God gives, God takes away, things go up and down in life. That's just the world. It's chaos, right? Yeah. But he's saying if you have purpose, you can navigate through anything. And this is a this is a really valuable perspective again from a non-Christian source but a very influential book for me was um, Viktor Frankl's classic book Man's Search for Meaning and Viktor Frankl was uh, a a Jewish um, psychiatrist psychoanalyst who uh, was in Auschwitz during the Second World World War War. and he observes that um, he that a number of people lost hope in the midst of that because it just was so random. Mm. You couldn't even say, oh, if I do that, then this will happen. Or yes. it was people just get picked off ran, And it was so, the whole thing seemed so senseless. And his, his amazing book, which I, I recommend anybody yeah. read, is, is written in the context of those survivors. Yeah. Still living with survivor's guilt yeah. and, and suiciding because even those who survived was like, it's all too random. Yeah, that's right. And he he's having to go and as so, a psychologist right. going, I need how do how do you get through this? You find meaning, you find that's purpose. Right. And so he he recognized and for him this is actually proof that we need purpose as human beings mm. as much as we need food. Like we actually we actually we can't survive without purpose. Yeah. And he recogn- and it's interesting that he observes that there were there were those who found purpose that mm. all things being equal, you know, uh that it was those who found purpose in the midst of their situation yep. that actually were more likely to survive. Yes. So he observes that you know there were occasions where there were there were people that would just be going mad from hunger and and because they were, had this tiny little bit of bread every day that they were mm. given, and that he observed that that there were people in the midst of all of that who would go up to one of these people who was just going crazy from hunger and who would say, "Here, you have my bit of bread for today," mm. and he observes that it actually. It wasn't the people that received that that tended to survive, but the people that gave. Yeah. So that the actual sense of purpose yes. that those people cultivated in the midst of that, that that actually was the thing yeah. that pushed them through. And so, um, you know, he recognizes that no matter what is happening, no matter where you are, mm. whether you are in the darkest 
valley or on the mountaintop, there is purpose and you you need to connect with that purpose. Now, you know, Viktor Frankl, I think, has as a Jew, has a theistic perspective and, uh, and thinks that there is an ultimate meaning. But as a Christian, uh, I would say... Um, that whatever situation you are in, there is meaning to be found. It's like, so what you need to look for is not a way out of your situation, is yeah. not not a pushing and fighting against the situation. And of course, there, there are situations that we're in that we should do what we can if they're a bad situation to, you know, to remedy or whatever. But, the, but that's not the first thing we should do. The first yeah. thing that we need to ask in any and every situation is what is God saying to me in this situation? Because often it's fight or flight. We either fight against the situation mm. or we flee away from the situation. I'm suggesting an alternative to fight and flight. I'm suggesting and imploring listeners to, to ask the question, what is God's purpose for me in the midst of this situation? Because when you find the purpose, that is your lifeline out the other side. We, we can find ourselves living always for the future, you know, always projecting out. Oh, if only, if when I get here, when I get to that point, when I get out of this, and we end up missing out on our own lives. What we need to understand is is that we need to engage with the purpose in the present. Life, live in the present mm-hmm. and connect with what God is calling you to do and be right now because there is wonderful, wonderful purpose. The best thing about our lives is that we have this wonderful purpose that we are called to live out and we miss these opportunities you know we miss deeply purposeful opportunities i mean partly because we keep looking for big things to do purpose is actually in the little things uh so whatever situation you are in god is in that situation he is offering you amazing opportunities to live and act purposefully in that situation and that is fullness of life now. Isn't it sort of ironic that we go through the book of Ecclesiastes where the teacher is telling us that everything is meaningless, everything is havel, everything is smoke or vapour, and at the end of it all, Matthew and I can find a place where we find purpose, where we find our direction in God and we find a way to live closer and deeper into God's purposes. It's just the way that it goes here on Thrive. I think you know the drill by now. Well, thank you so much for sticking with us over these last two episodes on Ecclesiastes. In a fortnight's time, we get into the Song of Solomon. If you've got questions around that or questions about anything that you've heard, please head over to Thrive Today. And while you're there, please take a moment to look how you can support us financially in everything we do. We humbly ask for your prayer support and also your financial support. Well, until next time, this has been DJ for Matt and Stuart and the team saying a big thank you to supporting Thrive. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. 
our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's Word and thrive. This was another DJP.FM production.